next scary movies. Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Welcome to the Jumping Scared Podcast. My name's Alex, and I'm joined, as always, by my twin brother, Eric. Uh, today we had a fun opportunity to do a current uh, current theater double feature. We saw two movies in theaters today, and that's going to be uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark and 47 Meters Down Uncaged, uh, which was a kind of long day, but also really fun. Uh, Eric, how are you feeling after we're kind of just coming right from the theater? How are you feeling right now? I'm feeling good. This is my second Bang Bang. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar, Willie C.K. popularized a term called the Bang Bang when you eat two meals back to back different restaurants. So I have now taken to using that for a movie watching experience as well. So this is my second time doing it. First time was Pet Cemetery and Us. And honestly, this one, I think, maybe surpassed that, uh, that outing. So I'm feeling pretty good. Which, I mean, that's a pretty good bang bang with a Pet Cemetery. I mean, us for sure is, is going to drag it up because that was a very high quality and Pet Cemetery, while not amazing, was pretty solid. It was an enjoyable experience was, for sure. I saw it at 2.30 or 3.30 in the afternoon and it left me feeling spooked. So Yeah, yeah so anyway, getting back to the movies at hand. So uh, two 2019 movies that are currently in theaters. Um, both just recently came out. Um, 47 Meters Down, I think just last Thursday and uh, Scary Stories has been out about a week. So we're going to go ahead and just go with the order that we saw them in. So we're going to start off by talking about 47 Meters Down Uncaged. Um, as always, we're going to do a brief spoiler-free discussion, and then we'll jump into spoilers. Like the last episode, I'm going to uh, timestamp, so in case you haven't seen it and you want to, I'll let you know when we're going to get hit, up, hit you guys up with those spoilers. So 47 Meters Undown, uh, 47 Meters Down Uncaged we're starting with. 2019, Johannes Roberts, director, a couple of noteworthy things, 47 Meters Down. He did the original with Mandy Moore. And also Strangers Pray at Night, which I think kind of got mixed reception, but a lot of people really liked it as a follow-up to Strangers. So it was okay. There, to me, there was only, there was like nothing to write home about, unfortunately. Which that kind of movie lends itself to that, just because it doesn't rely on a ton of action. It's more about like the spooky ambiance, but uh, it, it just felt like it was trying to do too much of the same with the original movie, which came out. A decade ago, almost 2008, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, uh, I don't know. 47 meters down, as we've talked about, I think just last podcast, maybe two podcasts ago, both we both enjoyed. So uh, definitely excited for this one, and um, yeah. Okay, so um, 47 Meters Down, Uncaged, follow-up with the same director, uh, completely different cast, completely different story. Uh, there's no relation from the original to the second. Um, it's also taking place in Mexico, I guess, which is kind of maybe the only direct tie, but this is not a movie that's about open water. This is a movie that's about enclosed areas. They're doing some exploration with scuba equipment. They're kind of going through these tunnels and exploring a kind of ruined city, which I think is a very cool aspect. Um, you know, the tight claustrophobicness of, of underwater caverns with these, <coughs> sorry, t tight corridors is already creepy on its own. And then obviously if you're, uh, if you've seen a poster, if you've seen anything about this movie, you know, there's going to be sharks in the mix. So this is a shark movie in tight quarters, which is uh, you know, doubling down on the creepiness, really. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, they say, and I guess if you saw the trailer or if you read the IMDb description, you know it's taking place in caves, which is a pretty unique concept if you're underwater. Um, you might ask yourself, is it difficult to film in such an environment? And I think they do a pretty good job, and it's... Uh, 
it gives off a very claustrophobic descenty kind of vibe i think at points um one of the things i liked about the first 47 meters down i think we've even discussed it was that their use of the open ocean uh the darkness and the pure vast chasms that the ocean creates as a way to make you feel uncomfortable as a viewer and i think the um for a different reason, the caves and their small nature and their claustrophobic nature uh, created that same tension as these scenes uh, built up throughout this movie. I don't know if you felt the same way while you were watching, but I had a couple moments where I was like, uh, uh, just kind of got that in the bubble stuck in my throat, kind of mm-hmm. going up and down. Yeah, and I don't think this is a spoiler. So this is similar to the first movie where, you know, they're doing scuba diving in these enclosed areas. So the threat of, like, running out of oxygen as you're down longer and longer, that's a kind of threat with any, you know, scuba diving expedition. So that is very much in play. I think it feels even scarier because, like, you have a roof above your head. So, like, you know, in the pre- first movie, technically they could swim up to the top and just risk it but you know here it's like well if i'm trapped in a cave what am i doing you know at some points i don't i can't go up you know i just have to find you know find a way through the labyrinth so that definitely also you know more contained more if more restricted it kind of makes you feel a little more hopeless so i think that was kind of cool yeah i agree and are we i mean this is the kind of movie where your the spoilers are basically all you want to talk about. So should we just go ahead and move into spoiler discussion? I don't know if there's much more we can say. Yeah, I think before that, I would say ratings, recommendations, and like it's, you know, just to give people an idea how we felt about it because we haven't really said how much time we feel about it, and I think you feel pretty strongly. So I'll, I'll go ahead and go first. This was pretty enjoyable for me. Uh, a fun shark movie. I think it was. Slightly, but uh, pretty close to same level for me for the original 47 meters down. I liked that one. I liked this one as well. Um, I'm giving this one a mid six, like around a six and a half out of ten, uh, which for me a shark movie. That's it's hard to get much higher. I, I rated this above Crawl, so I thought it was more inter- more enjoyable than Crawl. Um, so yeah, I'd say if if you're into this type of movie, definitely go check it out in theaters. But if not, I, I think it's okay to wait. And but I would, I mean, I think if you're you know adding movies to a queue, this is a good one to throw on as a kind of fun creature feature, kind of fun you know shark attracting people movie. So yeah, we we uh, so we actually had about twenty minutes to kill in between our features today, and so I was kind of memeing with Alex, and I even went as far as going on the Google page for the theater itself <laughs> and rating it a five out of five. Just because of how good the or a good of an experience watching this movie was, um, in our in a unfortunately we had a loud theater too, which was kind of whack. With, with kids, there was there was mo- like a, a family with like multiple very young kids for this type of movie. It was it was a weird choice. It was PG thirteen, but it's like. I would not be taking six, seven-year-olds to a movie like this. Yeah, the last two movies I went to that I felt like the audience was pretty whack for was for 47 meters down the original and now the sequel. So now I'm questioning or, or what makes my fellow shark movie enthusiasts be such D-bags and it makes me feel, it makes like me feel bad. Like I've got to own up for my fellow people. And so knock that off. If you want to be a shark movie, boy, be it respectfully, <laughs> let everybody else enjoy the movie. Uh, that being said, I would give this actually higher than the original 47 meters down. And this would, um, I'd say, be a an Eric 8 standard 6. Okay. So I actually rated it a little bit better than you if I give it a 6.5. Um, yeah, like we said, a fun movie. So we're going to go ahead and just jump into spoilers now. So if you would like to k- k- watch this uh, after our brief kind of rating recommendation here, 
stop watching and jump ahead to the next timestamp so you don't get spoiled because we are going to do spoilers. It's not a huge discussion because these types of movies, I feel like, I don't know, it's it's not a whole lot to unpack, but it's going to be fun to talk about. Okay. So, well, off the bat, one of the first things I feel like I have, well, there's a bunch of things that I <laughs> want to talk about. Uh, so let's just start off with the main character, um, Maya. What were oh, Mia? Mia, sorry. What were they trying to do in developing her backstory? So, I Mandy Moore's last for the first movie made sense. She was heartbroken. She was embarrassed. She got broken up with. Uh, she was on this vacation that was supposed to be a celebration, but now it's like, a, oh, woe is me. You understood that. Mia is like seemingly a pretty cool girl who we find out immediately is universally hated. Yeah, she's bullied for essentially being quiet and being like a, a bit more on her own. And she, they go to this really preppy private school in Mexico. Um, and her like stepsister is like, oh, oh, she's not my sister. Like someone asked her like, oh, why is your sister? So she's not my sister. It's like, okay. So obviously the stepsister and her have a pretty bad relationship. But it's kind of funny because as soon as there's any like turmoil and not even turmoil before that i feel like their relationship just magically mends and they become like super close like with nothing happening like yeah. as soon as they go on the trip that's that's it they're like okay we're, we're best friends now it was pure and utter bullshit you could basically wipe out the first 10 to 15 minutes of the movie while it did provide this weird uh solo individual type mindset for our main character it basically was counter uh, count, contradicted by every other interaction that this girl had with basically everybody. It was very unnecessary. And we also got a very unnecessary car montage driving out to a vacation scene with the girls laughing and, you know, wind blowing through their air. And we saw a lot of montages in this movie, <laughs> and this was just the first of many. But the like Eric was saying, you could wipe out the first 10, 15 minutes. You could kind of wipe out the first like half hour and just get to the where they're swimming and investigating. And I think it's almost a better movie. The backstory really didn't do much for me. So I will say that the entire first 30 minutes was pure fire to me. <laughs> but if you are going to point to like the general criticism of horror movies are like terrible, they have terrible backstory, terrible characters... Somebody, I think, who has that opinion would be validated <laughs> by the start of this movie. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Okay, so moving on from that, the idea, I, I already mentioned it, that it was kind of dissenty. It's a lot more dissenty than I even uh, led to believe in the non-spoiler part, uh, but that also gives me uh, my next what-the-f moment. So basically, we're in these caves that are... I don't know, 75 feet deep max, seemingly. Maybe 100 feet. Yeah, there's a couple that are slightly bigger, but most of them are even smaller than that. So. Yeah. We are led to believe that an entire ecosystem within these cave networks have been evolving separate from everything else in the ocean over the past... Hundreds, thousands of years? I mean, if it's they're evolving to... Yeah, it's gotta be thousands. It's gotta be thousands. What? <laughs> Just absolutely what? If there's any sort of... So we're either we're led to believe that there's no inlet from the ocean. Uh, if that's the case, how is an ecosystem like that thriving? We saw one fish smaller than a shark. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, the sharks just prey on the humans. So this is also an interesting movie. For a very long time, I was very unclear if there was one shark or there was multiple sharks. Because a lot of times you have a shark movie, you have one hyper-aggressive shark, like the Shallows, Jaws. There's a bunch. Um, 
Uh, some other movies, you know, Open Water, uh, 47 Meters Down, you have multiple. This one, I didn't know for a very long time. I thought this one shark was just maneuvering secret tunnel style like Clue, just like popping up in the different areas the girls are getting to. But eventually we do get a scene where there's like four, four of the sharks circling. Oh, okay, there, there's multiple. I don't know if you felt the same way, Eric. I think we actually talked about it during the movie. Like, is there one or is this is this a different one? Yeah, it's kind of like Anaconda versus Anaconda's. Yeah. <laughs> same idea. Um, I actually liked the design, or not the design, but the logic and how the sharks behaved. So basically everybody, uh, or all of the sharks, were descent-like creatures where they evolved to rely on senses outside of sight. So they somehow just lost their eyeballs and their uh, eye sockets. Like, there just was, it was, like, painted over or clayed yeah. over. Yeah, it's kind of like scars almost. Which actually, I think, made them look cooler. It did, and when they're very pale, they, mm. they were cool-looking sharks. I mean, they're essentially great white-style sharks, but, like, very pale, like a white color with this kind of scarred-out eyes. They were massive, though. They were big. And I liked how they showed a bunch of, like, scarring on the bellies, made mm. it look like they'd been. This isn't their first rodeo. They've had some fights before. Also, I mean... Realistically, they would be scraping all yeah, over the rocks. I think that's like a. I think that's a conscious decision because they're blind and they, you know, they go by sensation. But you might accidentally hit the rocks every now and then. That makes sense. Um, one thing as we move forward, basically, I think this movie relied on okay, and introducing a character just for like a quick moment, only to get gobbled up. I mean, that's kind of shark movie one hundred and one. But uh, you had a bunch of these people one thing i i always pisses me off in shark movies is i'm under the impression that once one thing goes haywire and a shark that is hunt, actively hunting you is involved there is at no point any logical reason for your group to ever like let your guard down again. <laughs> and they do they let their guard down repeatedly like instantly within seconds and it's not just like they're like oh my god there's a shark it's like the shark is actively picking them off yeah. and they're just like okay um let's forget about it let's not worry about it and it's yeah. just like what are you what why who what when why and I, a quick question this is a little sidetrack i want to ask if you think this is unintentional or intentional comedy with the way the sharks were grabbing the people like a lot of times it was a very aggressive like snatch where they would literally have the entire like midsection of their body they would just grab them and like swim underneath like a lot of times we were like laughing because it was just it was comical like it was a bit funny i don't know if that was purposely intentionally comedic or if that was just that was a decision like, oh, we want to grab the whole body and make it look really intense. I, well, I don't think it was intentional comedy, but I think it was intentional. I think they wanted to, a way to involve the sharks without like losing limbs. So like they didn't want to grab them by the arms or the legs because then they would lose a limb and they would... Okay, I'm not going to say it makes more sense to bleed out when you lose a limb versus having your back and chest completely shredded to pieces. Uh, you can, I guess, maybe make the argument, but... Uh, yeah, it, if not intentional comedy, it was at least intentionally done, I think, for that purpose. Yeah, okay, I think that's fair. I think that's fair for sure. Um, <laughs> so that kind of leads me in. I don't know if we want to skip all the way to the end because the end was for sure my favorite sequence. Uh, are you ready to skip to the end? No, I have one more okay. criticism. So you'll notice that I gave this movie an 8 and I'm kind of tearing it to shreds. <laughs> uh, the reason that I gave it such a high score is because I think the shark... shark 
uh, involvement was just so fire. Yeah. Uh, from pretty much from the start to finish. They had a lot of jump scares. Like well, a lot of I think pretty well good done. Jump scares. I, sometimes it was too much relying on the music, but they definitely had the sharks creeping out of nowhere because they were in these dark caverns and they would they were kind of sneaky. They were very they are uh, stealthy for how big they are. Yeah. And I think maybe that's why they were able to thrive in that ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, but I was going to say oh shoot, what was I going to say? I was gonna criticize something. Um Oh yeah. So this is one thing that's like one of my biggest pet peeves. Uh, so you like would see it in old-fashioned movies if somebody's got a bomb and they have a timer that's not constantly shown. The timer always lasts a lot longer than like a logical <laughs> oh, clock would. Yeah. So the, they didn't have a timer, but in this case they had oxygen systems that they got to like 30% instantly immediately like yeah. they used up 70 percent of their tank they were being very casual about it that last 30 percent lasted them ages yeah like they were because they were constantly aware of it like oh my god let's watch our oxygen we're getting low we're at 50 percent. we're getting low honey that last five percent <laughs> i guess is going to take you half the movie so why even worry about it yeah that was a bit silly um I, you could argue like oh well they're not showing they might be really active and you're just not seeing it from earlier on but it's like okay i mean you, I, I just kind of it was inconsistent i definitely agree with that okay and so let's just build up the end here because it's it's pretty pretty tasty yeah. pretty spicy yeah, so we, we set the scene a little bit earlier so the reason that they're exploring this cave is because they're originally their parents sent them out to go on this uh touristy watch the sharks feed boat thing, you know, where they have the glass bottom, you can watch sharks feed, they throw out chum. They didn't, they ended up not going on this boat. They went into this weird kind of isolated area on their own just to do their own thing, to be cool. You know, they're, they're high school girls. They don't want to be tourists. And so we, uh, we kind of are left to forget about that boat for most of the movie that, you know, that was kind of in the first act. And then this is in the final act. They find that we only have two girls left out of a group of four girls and then multiple guys who have killed. Three guys, including the yeah. stepdad of the two remaining girls. He seemed like a great guy, honestly. He really did, yeah. He, uh, he was able, but the stepdaughter and the natural daughter seemed to uh, respect his authority and show compassion. And he's a cool him. job. He's like an excavator for ancient underwater ruins. I mean... That seems like a brilliant... I mean, I would be a terrifying job for me, but it was, seems like a cool job. So. I, could, I could make fun of that backstory, but we're moving yeah. past it. Okay, so, yeah, so with that boat scene set in stage, they finally emerge from the cave. They get out of this narrow passageway, and as soon as they surface, they realize they're in a... Like, you just start seeing blood coming from the water. You're like, wait, is one of them bleeding? I thought there was going to be a really cool scene, because they, so they were, like, swimming towards a boat, and I thought there was going to be a scene where a girl, like, turns to her, and she just, like, loses the life in her eyes because she got, like, her lower torso or something. Eaten. Yeah. But I think what ended up happening was arguably quite a bit better. They realized they are swimming up to that original great white uh, glass four floor boat show, and they are chumming the ever-loving shit out of that water. And super realistically, realistically, the employee who's chumming is listening to tunes. He's got music playing. He's like, eh, whatever. I'm, I'm a low-paid employee. I'm going to be listening to music. And so he can't hear their cries, and he's just chumming the water. And there are quite a few man-eaters <laughs> swimming around there. And we get some really fun aerial shots where you can tell one swooping into the girls who are swimming. And I, So I thought and originally this was going to be an unrealistic scene because the kind of boat I was picturing and potentially the kind of boat some of our listeners may be picturing is that like uh, the classic boat where everybody's on the top deck mm -hmm. and the bottom of the boat is just like a glass floor. Like a flat glass floor, yeah. Instead, this was basically a double-decker where the entire bottom was a, like an aquarium 
room mm-hmm. that you could see out into. So Which it's, was cool. it's like uh, it's like those if you go to the zoo and you have those swim overs where you're yeah. walking through a tunnel. Or it's like Jurassic World when the platform dropped dro- down mm. and you could see the Leptosaurus. Plat- I don't remember the the huge water one. Yeah. Um, the Mosasaur. Um, yeah, so that was cool. And then, so you, this is a sequence now where I, I got to remember how exactly how many times one of the girls gets snagged. Like, and by snagged, I literally mean the torso. Their entire torso is in a shark's mouth. So the first time it happens is um, with the, with the, with the not, both, not both, Mia. It, it's both of them, right? No, because Mia gets up at first, and, and Sasha gets no, grabbed. No, they, they get discovered when they are like they hit the wall. Oh, you're outside. right. They both get they, grabbed, and they somehow escape. Yeah, so they both get grabbed, and then we see everybody on the ship, like, oh my god, look at all these big sharks. And then you just see one slap their hand up, yeah. on the, up on the wall, and they're like, oh my god, there's people down there. So everybody then rushes up, and they're trying to, like, uh, trying to get the girls under the ship. At no point, uh, mind you, during this entire sequence, does somebody on the boat throw them a floating device, a tube? Uh, they were fully unprepared for his uh, life preserver, nothing. Well, to be fair, I mean, you're not expecting people to go overboard, but that, in that kind of situation, you've got to at least have something. Yeah, and so that was two snags. And then as they're getting, they're almost up to the boat, Mia gets on board, but then Sasha gets grabbed. Mia is seeing this guy, he, apparently doing a terrible job getting a flare gun out, pushes him out of the way, grabs the flare gun, dives into the water, drills a shark in the face with the flare gun. Sasha gets free. They're swimming. Sasha gets on board. Mia gets grabbed. And earlier, her dad or her dad had given her a shark tooth he found in the cave. So that was a little bit of foreshadowing. Dude, it's very nice foreshadowing. Um, and she was able to use the shark, the shark tooth like a brass knuckle. She just put it between her knuckles and was fist-pounding the shark in the face. I think she eventually did get it in the eye, which is what actually made the shark release. So uh, four snags. Four full-body snags as they're trying to get up to this chumming boat. And they, I mean, to be fair, they're still swimming pretty well, but they've got some pretty gnarly gashes on them, both Sasha and Mia. That's another example of, like, completely... This this was in... What was the movie we were talking about recently where it's like... These have these massive injuries, but then it's like, oh, I can... And crawl, and crawl. Yeah, crawl. So, like, you have these massive injuries that uh, you, like, would be life-altering. Like, you wouldn't be able to make physical moves like they were making just because, like... Well, one of the girls, like, her like her side was, like, falling apart. But they both make it onto the boat, and pretty much that's where our movie ends. But it was just, for me, that was another huge comical. Every time, the shark would jump out of the water and snag him by the torso and just drag him under. And then somehow they would get saved. It was just very, very silly to me. Yeah, I thought it was uh, about as fire as you could possibly make oh, the it, ending it of that movie. Oh, it was very fun. It was silly, but very fun. Yes. And, you know, I think that just about wraps it up. This is the kind of movie where uh, it's just fun. It's just fun to me. It's, it's, you just gotta, I, I made fun of it, but that's part of the fun is making fun of some of the silliness and then uh, actually appreciating some of the stuff that I think is actually kind of well done. I think we talked about there were some good jump scares. I think the design on the shark, I think the graphics looked pretty good, uh, maybe besides the snagging scenes. <laughs> uh, but besides that, I think the sharks, for the most part, looked pretty great. Uh, there were some scenes that were legitimately funny. Uh, like There was a, a point in time where uh, the stepdad had convinced the two girls that they had this like radar device that was keeping the sharks at bay. And so he was like giving this big emotional speech like, okay, we got to go back down. There's the only way out. You guys, everything's going to be great. We're going to make it if we just believe in each other together. And like as he finishes the speech, he gets 
absolutely snagged. Super, and he's super so. hard snag. Completely done so. <laughs> yeah, that, that was very funny. Oh, we have this tool. This the the the, the, the they evolved really strong hearing, so it's gonna make them mad. Like they're gonna be scared and run away. That worked for about five seconds. That was good. Okay. So I think we're just going to go ahead and move on to our second item. And to do that, we have a nice transition. I took the opportunity to record a reading of one of the scary stories to tell in the dark from the original books. So we're going to have that take us away. And after that, we'll be right back with you with our rating, review, and recommendation of scary stories to tell in the dark. Harold from Scary Stories 3, More Tales to Chill Your Bones. When it got hot in the valley, Thomas and Alfred drove their cows up to a cool green pasture in the mountains to graze. Usually, they stayed there with the cows for two months. Then, they brought them down to the valley again. The work was easy enough, but oh, was it boring. All day, the two men tended their cows. At night, they went back to the tiny hut where they lived. They ate supper and worked in the garden and went to sleep. It was always the same. Then, Thomas had an idea that changed everything. Let's make a doll the size of a man, he said. It would be fun to make, and we could put it in the garden to scare the birds. It should look like Harold, Alfred said. Harold was a farmer they both hated. They made a doll out of old sacks and stuffed with straw. They gave it a pointy nose like Harold's and tiny eyes like his. Then, they added dark hair and a twisted frown. Of course, they also gave it Harold's name. Each morning, on the way to the pasture, they tied Harold to a pole in the garden to scare away the birds. Each night, they brought him inside so that he wouldn't get ruined if it rained. When they were feeling playful, they would talk to him. One of them might say, How are the vegetables growing today, Harold? Then the other, making believe he was Harold, would answer in a crazy voice, very slowly. They both would laugh, but not Harold. Whenever something went wrong, they took it out on Harold. They would curse at him even kick or punch him. Sometimes one of them would take the food they were eating, which they were both sick of, and smeared on the doll's face. How do you like that stew, Harold? He would ask. Well, you better eat it or else. And the two men would howl with laughter. One night, after Thomas had wiped Harold's face with food, Harold grunted. Did you hear that? Alfred asked. It was Harold, Thomas said. I was watching him when it happened. I can't believe it. How could he grunt? Alfred asked. He's just a sack of straw not possible. Let's throw him in the fire, Thomas said, and that will be that. Let's not do anything stupid, said Alfred. We don't know what's going on. When we move the cows down, we'll leave him behind. For now, let's just keep an eye on him. So they left Harold sitting in the corner of the hut. They didn't talk to him or take him outside anymore. Now and then, the, do the doll grunted, but that was all. After a few days, they decided there was nothing to be afraid of. Maybe a mouse or some insects had gotten inside Harold and were making those sounds. So Thomas and Alfred went back to their old ways. Each morning, they put Harold out in the garden, and each night they brought him back into the hut. When they felt playful, they joked with him. When they felt mean, they treated him as badly as ever. Then, one night, Alfred noticed something that frightened him. Harold's growing, he said. I was thinking the same thing, Thomas said. Maybe it's just our imagination, Alfred replied. We have been up here on this mountain for too long. The next morning, while they were eating, Harold stood up and walked out of the hut. He climbed up on the roof and trotted back and forth, like a horse on its hind legs. All night and all day, he trotted like that. In the morning, Harold climbed down and stood in a far corner of the pasture. The men had no idea what he would do next. They were afraid. They decided to take the cows down into the valley the same day. When they left, 
Harold was nowhere in sight. They felt as if they had escaped a great danger and began joking and singing. But when they had gone only a mile or two, they realized they had forgotten to bring the milking stools. Neither one wanted to go back for them, but the stools would cost a lot to replace. There really is nothing to be afraid of, they told one another. After all, what could a doll do? They drew straws to see which one would go back. It was Thomas. I'll catch up with you, he said, and Alfred walked down toward the valley. When Alfred came to a rise in the path, he looked back for Thomas. He did not see him anywhere, but he did see Harold. The doll was on the roof of the hut again. As Alfred watched, Harold kneeled and stretched out a bloody skin to dry in the sun. All right, we're back. Eric, I would ask you how that reading was, but you will not have already heard it. You'll have to wait and hear it uh, when the pub- pub- podcast is actually published. Yeah, I can I can picture it, though, so I will just say uh, future me thinks it's fantastic. <laughs> all right, so this was one I was pretty darn excited for. Um, I didn't get an opportunity to read all of these books because like we've talked about this in podcasts previous. We never read them when we were little. We, had, we were aware of them, but never really read them. We were more of Goosebumps kids, Michigan Chillers kids. Um, we were slightly, you know, those were slightly kind of more in our time frame growing up. I but, like I like how you just throw out Michigan Chillers as if anybody else listening to this podcast. Yo, people from Michigan, series. people from Michigan know Michigan Chillers. I think there's a very good per, uh, percentage of people from Michigan who have never heard of Michigan Chillers. Honestly, I would go as far as saying that maybe 10% of the population currently living in Michigan or who's ever lived in Michigan has heard of Michigan What Chillers. about our age demographic, though? Dude, that, then the percentage goes up. I don't know. I, I would like to do some research into that, <laughs> if, uh, maybe for another day, but I no, sorry. It's... No. No. Okay, well, statistics aside, we were very excited for this movie. Um, Andre Overdahl was the director. We have talked about him a bunch. We actually had a solo podcast specifically dedicated to him because we really like his work. Um, this is another one where I think he did a great job. I didn't really know what to expect going in. This is one I successfully avoided seeing trailers for, and I, I honestly did not know how they were going to do it. I was like, is it going to be an anthology? Is it going to be some sort of weird Goosebumps-like movie thing? Or I, I didn't know what they are going to do, and so I was very, very impressed with how they incorporated like the storytelling aspect and how they made it really a whole cohesive movie. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I felt like it almost was... Uh... Maybe not paying homage, but it was very reminiscent of the, the Trick or Treat anthology, which is also the movie a movie that relies on weaving a, a bunch of stories together. They did this in a much different way, but I thought very much, especially in the beginning, uh, even our main girl kind of looks a little bit like the main girl in Trick or Treat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah at least, at least reminiscent of it. Um, but yeah, I agree completely. I had no familiarity whatsoever outside of like. I guess when I looked into it, I had heard of some of the stories. I You'd recognize they, them just from being told. Like, yeah. they're very popular, like, campfire-type yeah. stories. Uh, but, so I, and I really, I had seen a trailer a long time ago, and I had basically no expectations going in, uh, which I prefer for horror movies. I really yeah. do. Um, as a quick side note, F trailers man <laughs> yeah we had gone so long with only seeing that one simple it trailer and then we saw like a three or four minute trailer this movie it, it covered a lot of ground i, I was saw, upset about i it. saw parts of 12 new scenes <laughs> yeah and just like and there's a i won't say because i for the people who want to avoid trailers as well but there's seemingly a pretty damn cool scene that now i feel yeah. like i've seen part of yeah But anyway, uh, so yeah, no expectations going in for this one. No familiarity really with the original work, just outside of the small uh, bits and pieces I'd heard through campfire stories. 
Uh, I'm obviously a massive fan of Andre Overdahl, so I knew he was probably going to do a good job with it, and do a good job he did. Yeah, and I think one thing that I wasn't expecting was how well the comedy was peppered in. They had some really, really good comedy and really funny comedy. Like, there was a bunch of times, like, kind of our whole theater, you could tell, was chuckling or laughing. Uh, really well-done comedy, but I think... With that, he handled tonal shifts really well. For he had, he not only had some lighthearted comedy, but also some really serious scares, some really serious horror. That uh, I think it's kind of hard to nail both in, in one movie, and I think he did great with it. Yeah, I agree completely. There uh, was a character who you could say like bore the brunt of most of the comedic relief. Uh, you could almost call him a, a bit of comic relief, just his character. But I feel like that's slightly a disservice because I feel like oftentimes the character who just like gets the attachment of comedic relief basically has no other purpose but i thought he actually no, was a right. very he, he, strong he had one of the, he had one of probably the creepiest segments of of the movie like one of the most well done kind of horrific elements which Certainly. was cool and he uh he reminds me of that kid uh from like even stevens or not even stevens uh malcolm in the middle and all that with the curly brown hair oh, played yeah. dabney yeah 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 um similar idea if you guys were trying to get a visual on this boy yeah, so um, I guess, you know, this is going to be spoiler-free, and then we'll also do spoilers. I, I don't know if there's, again, a ton we really want to say spoiler-free here. Um, we, we definitely liked it. I think it was a great blend of horror comedy, but right, just a great overall movie. Like, I think, I don't know, like I said, I didn't have, <laughs> didn't have much expectations, but I think pretty much everything it did, it did well, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I agree. And uh it just told the story so well. I was just completely hooked from the start. Yeah. Uh, just wanting to see where it went. Um, and that's hard to do, especially nowadays where I've seen so many different ideas and so many different types of movies done. This one hooked me from the start, and it never really gave me too much wiggle room to get off. Mm -hmm. So, uh, pause. Uh so yeah, let's just get into our quick ratings and uh, get into the spoilers. One, one more quick, quick kind of quiet side note. This kind of felt like a Stephen King work to me. Like mm -hmm. it felt very in line with a lot of Stephen King. Like you almost couldn't see like a little bit of Children of the Corn, but also like a strong female, a uh, strong uh, children cast, a strong like kind of rural atmosphere. Felt a little very Kingy into me, which Stephen King's in right now. Yeah. Hmm. I I want to parse that because I I kind of see where you're coming from. But there's something to me that makes it unkingy. I'm just trying to put that into words. You also got like bullying. Bullying's a huge mm -hmm. thing. Uh, I, there was definitely a lot of aspects. I mean, overall, I don't think it really felt like a king work, but I think there was a lot of elements that kind of you know fell in line with that. Yeah. I'm, okay. Since I can't think of it off the bat, I'll give you. I'll give. I mean, because I can. I can see the comparison too. But if if anybody else has my same impression and can't quite put it to words, but can put it to words better than me, please reach out because I'm struggling and there is something, but maybe I'll think of it by the end of the podcast. <laughs> All right. So yeah, we can get in ratings, reviews, recommendations. Um, for me, this is either my favorite or second favorite I've seen of the year. It's up there with us. I really enjoyed this. I definitely recommend checking it out in theaters. This was a very, very fun watch. Just really, I mean, that's, that's for me, that's what it was. Like I kept thinking like, this is just a fun horror movie. Like this is a really good time. Uh, really enjoyed it. It's going to be a mid to upper eight for me. Um, honestly, I just thought it was very, very solid. I'll, I think I'll get into in the spoilers. I think there was a little bit towards the end that kind of let me down, but it was small enough where I still had a great time and I don't think it, it detracted too much for me. Yeah, I'll be pretty similar to you, yeah, just a tad bit lower. Uh, 
probably ending up between an 8.0 and an 8.2 on my scale. Okay. So yeah, so both, I mean, that's also probably a theater recommendation, I'd assume, for you, right? Oh yeah, certainly. This is definitely one, uh, honestly, it's a good one to pair up maybe with a shark movie out in theaters <laughs> now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that's what uh, what's all what all the smart horror movie uh, viewers do. You really want to get your bang for your buck while you're already at the theater. You don't want to waste gas going back and forth. You might as well just knock them both out at the same you time. Could, you could even say you want to get your bang bang for your buck. <laughs> oh, you could say that. Eric and all Eric and I also so we had he said we had like 30 minutes to kill we also did an awkward thing it's we had bought both tickets ahead of time and it's like oh so do we like just go back out and get our tickets checked tickets checked and go back in and then we were gonna do that and we're like oh so we should do it with this guy right and we had walked like one step too far and Eric's like no we've gone too far we have to we have to kill some time outside and then come back to make it less awkward well also (laughs) he was the same guy we went through the first time he had checked our tickets already yeah and he didn't yeah but he didn't make make a note of it. I thought he was gonna say, "Oh, hey, still hanging out." I'm like, "Yeah." I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I was awkward, and it's, I feel like we're making it even more awkward just by talking about it because it's like a pretty small scale thing. But yeah. now we're building it up to be a little I know. Bit more. Than it was. I, I feel like when I like when I was thinking about it in my head, it was funnier, and then I told the story, and I was like, "Yeah, that probably wasn't worth sharing." Yeah, it's like the kind of detail in your life where it's just a very minute passing detail, and you start to tell somebody about it, and you're just you can see it, and their eyes are just like, "I could not care less." You want to quit? You want to quit halfway? through the story but you feel like obligated to finish because you, you have to just finish yeah and point. then you get to the end of it and you just like kind of awkwardly chuckle and hopefully they can like right away say something else that changes <laughs> the subject oh uh, speaking of change the subject let's get into our spoilers discussion of this scary stories to tell in the dark um yeah so like i said i did not know how they were going to do it and i kind of loved how they introduced like the short story narrative so um this is not going to be a broad strokes like plot by plot but like you know just talking about the things we liked so with the short stories like from kind of the original books how they did it was they had this family that they've made up and a kind of ostracized daughter from the family who was perceived as like this witch who had this self-writing book kind of like tom riddle's diary where these stories would start to populate and would be about characters from the current movie and so anytime a story would happen it would actually mimic happening in real life so these stories are kind of like prophetic dooming stories where these characters are potentially getting killed we, we they, they don't come back in this movie there was a little bit towards the end that says they might come back but that that almost looks like it was setting up a sequel i think it was setting up a sequel um which i wouldn't be mad at honestly well it's, it's yeah let's yeah let's like stick on top subject but yeah so, so they have this book that is writing out these stories and it's and then these terrible things happening to individual characters so i thought that was a very creative and very cool way to introduce like kind of the lore and history of the original scary stories yeah as we were getting there it reminded me of a mashup of two things one uh very light-hearted kids type thing with an actual horror concept uh, so i felt like it was a mix of samara from the ring mm-hmm. with um hocus pocus yeah that's actually a very good compare like the com- so, combination especially I like as they were going to the haunted house and so i, I what i really liked about this so we were as alex mentioned kingy uh, it was small town uh and so basically everybody knew everybody and then you had the town's lore and so the family family basically had built this town they started a mining or a it was a mill, a mill, milling company, uh, a milling company, and then eventually just left town. Milling company failed. Now it's just small mom and pop places. All blah 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 blah. But uh, yeah, we find out there's this local legend about this ostracized daughter, and who, if you go to their house outside of their room and you ask for um, what was her name, uh, 
my gosh, Sarah. Sarah. Yeah, Sarah, Sarah Bellows. It's Bellows. If you ask Sarah to tell you a story, it will be the last story you ever hear. Mm-hmm. And so we have our main uh, ragtag collection of uh, kiddos. Out, yeah, misfits and outcasts. Yeah. Misfits and outcasts. It sounds mean saying it like that. And that's that's always the kind of the collection of the feel good like hero stories. Oh, I feel like the go- you have the Goonies. You have. Uh, you have the Losers Club. You have uh, the, our three main characters from Serious Stories to Tell in the Dark. Yes, and so they eventually venture out to that uh, that that house. They break in. How can does everybody pick locks super well? Well, so yeah, the thing was, it, it kind of made sense for. Um, I, I thought it made sense for Ramon because he. I mean, okay, he knows how to pick locks, but then, uh, but then uh, Stella takes his knife. He's like, "Give me the knife," and then she picks the next one. It's like, oh, okay. So, yeah, everyone knows how to pick padlocks too. Not just like any lock, a padlock. Yes. Uh, and then we are introduced to our story. Sarah, uh, Sarah's book is found by Ruth. No, Stella. Stella and Sarah. That's gonna mix me up all yeah. all podcasts. So Stella, our main character, and Sarah, our uh, mythical ostracized girl who lived in the house. Um, Stella is a writer herself, so she's got extra interest in these so-called stories that Sarah tells. And Stella makes a mistake, Alex. Stella makes a grave mistake. Grave mistake, and she asks Sarah to tell her a story. And uh, that is where the proverbial shit in a flaming bag hits the, <laughs> hits the car. Oh, yes. What a, which, <laughs> that's one of the comedic elements early on. So normally when you have that, you know, the, the classic prank is dog poop in a paper bag. You light on fire, someone stomps it out, they get poop on their shoe. So we have uh, one of our main characters uh, whose name was Chuck. Yeah, yeah. Chuck who, instead of getting dog poop, is seen fishing poop out of the toilet, and his sister's like, what are you doing? And she's, give me some privacy. So that's just one of the kind of comic reliefs. I feel like it doesn't sound that funny when describing it, but it's in, in, in kind of context, it's it's very goofy and very silly. Well, yeah, and then he also goes, uh, he he knows that there's a bully who is keen on stealing uh, Halloween candy. Oh, it's a fire setup. So he puts the poop in the Halloween bag, they steal it, they realize it's full of poop, and then they actually throw a flaming bag of poop into their car and actually lights the shine shirt on fire yeah it was a very aggressive anti-bullying like you know you may have been bullied before but this is really turning the tables like aggressively you don't see kind of the outcast turning the tables that that aggressively on the bullies no and then but you are i mean we've been introduced that this bully is pretty violent i mean we haven't seen him do much to uh annoying actual people but he's uh pretty aggressively tearing apart a scarecrow he seems like he's pretty damaged himself he carries a baseball bat around a lot and a baseball bat i don't know if you guys know but a wooden baseball bat can uh, do some pretty pretty solid damage to a child he looks like he was keen on using it if he would have caught him yes certainly and uh so yeah, it's he. I guess that's very Eddie. Uh, yeah, it's a very Harry, Harry Henry Bowers. Yeah, uh, Henry Bowers thing. Uh, Harry Bowers. That is a uh, battle rapper. And now they're both the same name, Henry Bowers. <sighs> he took the name off that. Harry. Okay. Hen- no, Henry. I know. I'm just trying to <laughs> give myself a lifeline where I could make a connection, but yeah. nothing there. Anyway, moving past that. So. Uh, yeah, Stella makes a mistake, and this is where we get into the crux of the scary stories, and this concept is fire. Oh, yeah. So basically how it works in this movie, and I assume also in the, the original book, no. Okay, so how it worked in the movie, uh, so we have Sarah Bellow's book, and it's full of these stories, and we eventually get to blank pages. Mm-hmm. What this movie does is everybody who was in that original house when they broke in and they had asked, or I guess 
Stella had asked Sarah to tell her a story. Everybody gets a story written about them, night by night by night. And what this story is, is a story on how their fate is sealed. Yep. And it is sealed. Uh, unless, I mean, at the very end, you can maybe get away with it if you convince Sarah. But it is a sealed fate. There's a couple different cool ways to do it. Um, real quick, though, Eric, I want to say, so I am 90% sure the entire Bellow storyline was 100% completely manufactured for the movie. Ah. So the original Scary Stories books are literally just an anthology of these individual small scary stories. Oh, very there isn't cool. really a backstory. So this is a like a i think a really really cool way to tie everything together to make it so you could have this cohesive separate stories coming together for like a single purpose oh very cool i did not know that fun fact yeah and so i think i i liked all of the scary stories we got um you get you got two classics you got howard the uh, howard the scarecrow which spoiler alert just for eric that's gonna be the story that was gonna be our lead in the one that i narrated for the podcast uh, you got big, uh, my big toe. Looking for the big toe. That's another classic. Um, I forget the t- Ty Lee Croft, the guy who's. Ch- I forget yeah. who's chanting, but that's also a classic. Um, the Red Room one. I forget what it was called, but uh, that that one was the weirdest one to me. It was like that, oh, that marshmallow overweight Asian woman. woman. Yeah, it was creepy though, because the way any any time he turned and would run this woman would be slowly walking towards him. He would turn and turn around, slowly walking towards him. So eventually, there's this person walking from every direction. He's just spinning in circles, and then it just, like, absorbs him. That was really creepy, because, like, that just makes you feel completely hopeless. Yeah, it reminded me back when I was bad at Resident Evil 4, so I would just usually watch you play. But whenever (laughs) I would play, those section in the hospital with the walkers, uh, I just felt like everywhere I turned (laughs) would be one. Um, but yeah, so that's... uh, those were the those are the stories. I yeah, I'm kind of actually mind blown. I thought there would be some sort of overarching Bellows storyline initially in the book. So that's cool. Okay. Yeah, completely. So that's like, that's why I was like, I don't know how they're gonna what what the movie's gonna look like. I think it was very, very creative and a very well done, well executed. I think this could have been like a it could have looked bad if they didn't execute it well. But I think they executed it great, and I think it was super well done, a super good idea for how to make a cohesive story. One thing I will point out as a criticism, uh, I don't like movies, and I don't like the trend of just having overly aggressive, loud noise and like intense, pivotal scenes. Uh, this movie didn't do it terribly often, but, but it, it did. I, I I agree with that. I think it did it a little, a smidge too much for sure. Yeah, there was actually uh, th- there were two jabronis behind us who were kind of annoying. One of them at some point I noticed was snoring, so he must have fallen asleep. Oh, I didn't hear that. Okay. Um, but uh, I would notice after one of those sound sound bursts. He was uh, he was also laughing pretty hard at the M and M's commercial before the movies. You know about silencing your cell phone. So yeah, honestly. This is, a, this, is, this is the kind of man who just, you wonder how he made it to where he's at in life. Uh, besides that, okay, moving forward. Um, yeah, that's my, basically my only major criticism is that it, it used shrieking, it used uh, pounding, just a little bit too... Just a little, I, I, I agree with that. I, I think just, slightly too much. Well, I just don't think it needed it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it could have been uh, completely fine. You would have lost nothing, if anything, gained uh, by taking those scenes out. Can we talk about the Scarecrow scene real quick? Because I thought that was super well done. So the, the Scarecrow scene was with Tommy the Bully. He's walking through a cornfield. The Scarecrow named Harold keeps kind of changing locations. Eventually then is stalking towards him and attacks him, spears him through the back, through the chest with a pitchfork, and then 
Straw starts coming out of his wounds. Straw starts coming out of his mouth as he's trying to yell out of his ears, out of his eyes. And so that that was like super creepy. And then the next day he wakes up as a scare. Like he's just a scarecrow now. And that's a, a pretty horrific fate. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, scarecrow could be worse. I mean, <laughs> I'd say he's got any any of his faculties. At least he he's hanging out. It seemed like it was pretty good weather where they were at. Like, I don't know. I don't think he's. I don't think he's maintained any of his faculties. Is the problem. I mean, and if we're being if we're making choices, would you rather end up in the belly of that overweight, pale woman, that's or would you rather question. be a scarecrow? That's a good question. Would you rather be eaten by that toe toe boy? Ooh. That was a creepy... A toe woman, I think. Oh, yeah. Mate. Well, it was hard to say. It was toe skeleton corpse yeah. body zombie. Yeah, okay. Definitely would rather be the scarecrow than get taken by that last dude, unless you just get your neck snapped. Like, I think change. I think you get a neck snap. I think that guy's all about quick, quick... Quick getting it done. Yeah, it's like the... Uh, it's like those chiropractor videos. People like those so <laughs> much, so... Yeah. Um, one other thing I'd like to hit on, probably my only criticism, is I think the ending, I don't want to say phoned it in, but a, a little bit. I think the very ending with, with, was a bit too, like, heartwarming, like, mm-hmm. a bit too much, like, you have to let the rage go, like, you have to just move on. Like, I understand how you were mistreated, because I think the backstory was super compelling, and I get how compassion could work, but I think it... I don't know, it was missing just something small for me. Like I said, I don't think the ending ruined it at all for me. I still liked it, but I think there was something about the ending I just would have I would have liked to see tweaked. I, I need to think about it more to kind of say exactly what that is, but I don't know if you felt similarly. I did feel similarly, and it was disappointing because I thought the lead-up to the ending was super hot Oh, fire. it was very good. So this is a scene, I want to compare it to a scene that I feel like doesn't get talked about. Um, it's from a movie that... I guess it's kind of controversial. I really like it. I think a lot of people really like it, but some people who don't like the current paranormal phase don't like it. It's from The Conjuring 2. It's the opening scene where we have Vera Farmiga uh, basically like mind-warping mm. into the house in which the man murdered his family. And she is basically taking on the role of the husband, mm-hmm. and like so, she's like walking around with an invisible shotgun, like, Shooting, sh- yeah. and then she can see the body showing up. She walks by a mirror, and she can see herself as that man. Right. So basically, how this compares to scary stories to tell in the dark, the story that gets written about Stella is that Stella is forced to live uh, the reality of Sarah Bellows. Yeah. She is in the haunted house. And Sarah, uh, Sarah's family. family have come back. Trying to silence her for speaking out against their family being evil, pretty much. And, and she's scared and running because she's been... She has a some sort of albinism with her skin, so she's like maintained in their house. But she also is like, locked in the basement. Her family's messed up. Uh, yeah, so then you have uh, Stella playing the role of Sarah, and she's thrust in her shoes, and it's terrifying. And it's very well done, though. Yes. Um, and this is... Uh, this is the end, ending ending is where we get to they I wouldn't say they made it a happy ending but if they're going to go the route they went I have no issues with how they did it it's just that if if you want to be a movie I feel like that is going to be keeping with the uniqueness that they set up I think just burn it all down everybody's gone no happy endings make it a Jane Doe Make have Stella be very uh, jaded at the end. No, or you're saying Stella gone Stella too. Cut her oh, out. Oh, that's tough to do in a movie though. You don't see that very often. Like Jane Doe. 
Oh, okay. Jane Doe, where the wrath, and Andre, goes, on, the Andre, wrath goes unchecked. Andre Overdahl has been there before, been exactly. there, done that. Exactly. That's what I was expecting based okay. on that movie. Um, it did seem like they were setting up the potential for a sequel because you have Ruth, come, Ruth who is uh, Chuck's sister, show up at the very end. Who She had the, the spider bites um, who kind of seemed like she was going to be teaming up for potential trying to get the kids back. So that made no sense to me. I'm sorry. Um, she still has parents. So she is just moving across the country. With... It, it was it was in a it was a Stranger Things uh, um, eleven situation where eleven apparently is just moving in with the buyers who are also moving states for whatever reason. I mean, that makes more sense. Spoilers. I mean, that's it's season three, so that's I... hella spoilers. That's pretty rude. Okay. Anyway. Well, okay, but it's not. That's not that critical though. I, I yeah, but. <laughs> Yikes. I didn't mean to, I, I wasn't thinking about it when I said Yeah, that. let's just cover the last five minutes of season three, episode eight. Okay, well now you're making it too specific. Well don't does, don't add like context to okay, it. Okay, well now they know we're talking about spoilers, so if they really wanted to avoid them, thank God I gave them the warning I'll, before I'll put, I said it. I'll put a timestamp for season three Stranger Things accidental spoilers. So if people need to avoid it, they can avoid it. But anyway, uh yeah, is, going back to the end of this movie, I wouldn't even necessarily call it a happy ending. It's still uh you're still left with the unfortunate tale of Sarah Bellows. She lived a, ter- a horrid life, a tortured life, a tragic life. Um, but as part of her promise, uh, her escape from this uh, seemingly destined fate, uh, Stella tells Sarah's story to the world. She writes about the truth behind uh, her life her and family. her family and then her eventual death. And she says some people believe her, some people don't, but at least the truth has set her free. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that kind of covers it for me. Because, I, I mean, we typically, for, for me, for reviews, I don't like to get, like, so crazy, spoil, like, intense with the plot. You know, I just like to kind of really say my overall feelings. So I think we did a pretty good job. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on? I would disagree. I feel like we do go pretty heavy into the plot. I don't know. There's a lot of movie reviewers these days, especially for podcasts, who, like, literally, like, you'll have an hour episode breaking out a movie where you're just essentially go plot point, plot point, plot point, and just overall describing the entire plot and then saying feelings. Which, I, we don't really do. I feel like that's like the uh, definition of what we did for the Hill House podcast. Yeah, that was more unique, though. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I'm okay with where we're leaving it. Uh, as we mentioned, this is definitely a theater recommendation. If not, this also would make a pretty good group watch in a mm. dark room and yeah. a very fun night. one. Like I said, this is a very fun watch. Very good Halloween movie. This will be Ooh, one I yeah. feel like is a uh, going to be a fun rewatch in October. This will be a perennial Halloween movie for me. I think there's a couple that I will like to watch around Halloween that I think this will get added to the list. And before we say goodbye today, Eric, I think we had one more movie we want to touch on. This is another 2019 movie we just watched together recently, uh, earlier it, last week. Was it last weekend, or was it a uh, It was t- Tuesday, I think. Monday or Tuesday. Yes. Okay. Uh, this is another 2019 movie. Uh, it is a uh, movie by a female director who Alex and I, uh, I guess everybody most likely, is unfamiliar with. That is Mitzi Piron, and that is entitled Braid. Uh, it is a horror mystery. mystery uh, it's a, a unique concept. Uh, IMDb describes it as two wanted women decide to rob their wealthy psychotic friend who lives in the fantasy world they created as children to take the money they have to take part in a deadly, perverse game of make-believe. Okay, and we aren't going to get into spoilers on this one. We're just going to give a surface-level review recommendation. Um, this is a very strange one. Um, this is a very... 
it's very stylistic. It's a very specific style, and it leans into it heavily. It's very kind of jarring and abrasive at times. The style is very disjointed. It doesn't really um, give you a solid, continuous narrative. Um, one thing I really was excited for in this movie and that I still liked was that it was um, starring... Can you scroll down now because I'm blanking? Uh, Madeline Brewer, sorry, from Cam of 2018, who was great in Cam, and I would say she was very good in this, too. Um, she's an actress I've uh, now enjoyed in two movies, so I'm, I'm going to be looking forward to her when I see her, especially if it's in a horror movie coming up. She's also very well known from uh, Handmaid's Tale, Orange is the New Black, but we know her, and horror fans will know her from 2018's Cam. Also in an episode of Black Mirror. Yeah, can you pull which up, which one that would be? Uh, Raymond. That's her character. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, she was, wait, she was in... Uh, is that in uh, splitting, Spitting Vipers? Oh, oh, did she play the... Wait, she didn't play the fighter. Scroll up. What is yeah, it? I, don't, I don't know. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll find it later. Um, anyway, uh, so this is a, a movie I was able to... I, I, I think I've mentioned how much I love saying this is the combination of two separate movies. So I have a pretty good combination that will work for basically nobody. I feel like I'm definitely <laughs> one of the few people who's seen the two movies I'm going to say. Uh, the first movie is a pretty, actually, popular movie. It is... 1987-ish Heathers starring Winona Ryder and uh, Christian Slater. If you take that movie and mix it with 2015's Neon Demon starring Ellie Fanning, you will have a very good idea of what to expect. Uh, Neon Demon was one of my least favorite movies from 2015 um, for a lot of reasons which I don't feel like getting into now. Heathers is actually a very fond movie. Uh, from the 80s that I enjoy to this day. Very weird black comedy. Yes. Um, and this movie is somewhere in between those. Uh, neither of us enjoyed it terribly much. It was one that I enjoyed more once I read about it and kind of understood more. Because on first watch, I was still a bit confused when it ended. Um, overall, though, I ended up giving it a, like a high 4, like a 4.8, I think. I was right around the same, maybe 4.6. So um, not I, so that's kind of you know just under the realm of recommendation. Like I, I wouldn't say. Oh, I, I think it's well under the realm. Well, I think anything above five, I'd be like it's a slight recommendation. If you go under five, I'd say it's I wouldn't recommend. But well, I think it's who you're recommending. That's true. It to. That's true. If you're a huge horror nut. And I mean, I think there. It, this has gotten good critical and audience scores. Like it's pretty well received on both IMDb and uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, well, not so great on IMDb, but it had really good Rotten Tomatoes scores. So it's kind of you know in the eye of the beholder. So um, honestly, not a ton more I have to say about this one. I think uh, just kind of wanted to end it with the the last movie we had seen here. This was mostly the the focus on the double feature we did today. Are you feeling pretty similar, Eric? Yeah, I mean. We're trying to stay spoiler-free, so no point in telling the line. Uh, if you really want to watch it, just watch it. It's a bit of a mind F uh, of a movie. Uh, definitely check out the first two we recommended. Those two are uh, especially sc scary stories. If you can have the chance to see it in theater, go for it. For sure. If you're a shark boy like myself, I mean, I feel like I don't. you don't need me to prod you to go see 47 Meters Down. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we've still got our eyes on the prize, 2019. Real quick, might as well mention a uh, movie I'm super excited for now that I've seen trailers for, Ready or Not. Looks as much fun every single time I see a trailer for it. Looks like it takes itself just seriously enough to laugh at itself. 
so I think that's going to be a lot of fun. It looks like to me like it's going to be a slightly similar style to your next, maybe even a little bit more humor. I think a lot more humor. Yeah. So it could be. I think it's going to be a fun one for sure. And uh, I think on the podcast we're going to be looking. You know, besides it coming out, when we have Ready or Not or an It coming out in the next coming weeks. I'd like to revisit some older ones. We've done a lot of focus on new movies, and I'd like to definitely, you know, we've talked about some of our ideas to do some older movies in the past, so I think we're going to be hitting those up in the near future, and I'm looking forward to doing that coming up on our next few episodes. Thanks for tuning in to the Jumping Scared Podcast. Have any questions, comments, just want to share your horror movie opinions with us? Feel free to reach us at Jumping Scared Podcast on Twitter or by email jumpingscared at gmail.com. See you next episode.